is. I, I feel like she's almost a co-host at this point. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure a lot of other podcasters are experiencing that same sort of intimacy with the lady who says she, recording in progress. She just sounds so mean about it. Oh, she is. And I'm into it, but <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just wish I knew her name, you know? I am, yeah. Mary, I've been waiting for this day for so long. How many times have we talked in recent history that I've brought this book up? Because I'm just so excited because I know you've Every read it. Every time I see your, your lovely, lovely face. It's something just... about this book has been, has been brought up. So let's, this let's is, ourselves. I'm Mary. <laughs> And I'm Cole, and this well, is how to make a book. <laughs> this is this is a regular episode. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to our mini episodes. Um, yeah. I'm so I'm really thrilled with them. I really am, and I I can't wait to make more. Um, but this is like this is our emotional bread and butter because we just get to rant about books we like or maybe don't quite like as much, but mm-hmm. books we've read. Mm-hmm. And I like this one a lot. <laughs> This was so fun. And uh, so we're covering Space Opera, and it's by Catherine M. Valenti. Is it Valenti? Valenti. I think it's how you pronounce it. That's how, um, when I've listened to the audiobook version, that's how it's pronounced. So I'm I'm hoping. I have to say, I did read it initially, and then I listened to it because I accidentally deleted all my notes and uh, had to rewrite all my notes. And I have to say, listening to it just added so much more flavor. I knew you would love the narrator. The narrator is so freaking good. He's just, he's incredibly talented. And I I think that there were some things that I missed in the the physical book versus the audio book. Like um, Ort's pronunciation of his name i'm pretty sure it's turkish um mm-hmm. his actual name not his like um stage name it's omar jalishka which is not like in the u.s edition doesn't have accents on most of the letters that i oh. think would normally be on there mm-hmm. so i didn't know how to say that and now i kind of do if the the audiobook is correct so yeah well the narrator is uh heath miller and it's actually mm-hmm. Catherine's partner which i thought was really oh i didn't cool. know that yeah. mm-hmm. isn't that neat I'm sorry that makes me so happy oh my god yeah. i don't know why that just hit me so hard i love that that's isn't so cute that awesome? i thought that, that was is so cute yeah i think that's adorable well he's also incredibly talented like he the oh, way yeah, that he that... switches between like mm-hmm. a scottish brogue and like a like a posh london accent and it yeah and the irish accent her yes. mira and like oh yeah 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 loved it yeah uh, so we're talking about space opera which i've ranted about on this podcast before and i think i screamed maybe when we pulled it out of the hat i think mm-hmm. i might have done that Probably. because this is one of my this is like one of my favorite books and i think it's a good gateway book for science fiction which is what i was hoping it would be for you mary um because you're much more of a, like a fantasy reader um like and you this poignantly once said you're either a space kid or you're a magic kid 
And I'm definitely a magic kid. Yes. <laughs> yes. But there's like almost a little bit of magic going on here because of this, oh, the sure. way that the space is handled. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, I think, my fourth or fifth reading of this book. And I don't think it loses any of its shine. So so what was your preferred method of consuming it? Did you prefer reading the physical copy or the, doing the audiobook? No, I prefer the audiobook. I like I said yeah. it just added so much more flavor and and mm-hmm. just a lot more personality I think to the mm-hmm. book and um so uh, it is not available on Kindle and so I consumed it via Audible and then I actually Oh, I had to make notes and highlight and tab things in the actual book. And let me tell you, taking a yellow highlighter to something that is not a textbook felt horrific to me. Mary, I, I get you. Honestly, okay, as a literature major, you have to treat regular books like a textbook. So I have often got, maybe we should do a mini-sode on this about annotation or something. Um, But I've taken to the practice of getting two copies, a reading copy and a markup copy if I know (laughs) that that I'm going to have to take notes in a book. And like one of my favorite books I read in school was uh, called The Hungry Tide by Amitav Ghosh, which oh so good um I, I I'll rant about that some other time but I got the book for class and started taking notes in it and then immediately fell in love with it and then just bought a second copy so that I would have a nice one to like loan out or like put on my shelf so yeah. uh and I so on the audible book it said it t- it took nine hours and 45 minutes I listened to it at 1.75 speed, so I got through it in four hours. Um, (laughs) It's quick, and it's really fun. Do decibel sound like a chipmunk? No, no, not to me. It doesn't get chipmunky to me until you get to, like, 1.85 or, like, 2 so mm-hmm. I do I actually am curious how there's a character who comes into play later on in the book E mm-hmm. the alien and mm-hmm. oh you guys there's aliens in this book that's not a spoiler okay. um <laughs> shocking but the way that E speaks is very particular for okay. reasons yeah and did, did that come across pretty okay yes yes, yes. okay and we'll get okay to cool it. we'll get to it but okay yeah we'll get uh, to it and so it only took me about four-ish hours. So um, on Audible, it said that it was released uh, April 10th of 2018. Is that mm-hmm. correct to you? Does that sound right? Yeah, I think the um, I think the, the audiobook and the physical book came out simultaneously. Oh, okay. Um, which sometimes there's a delay. Like mm-hmm. sometimes there's the, the physical book and then the audiobook will come out. And it just really depends on the publisher mm-hmm. um, and what like their publishing resources are. Um, so yeah, and, but it's like, it's a big five book. So, well, in the way, and I just want to start this episode off by saying there is no way that we will give this book even any justice, any justice, because mm-hmm. the way it's written, the mm-hmm. way it's narrated, I mean, it's, we, I, we will go over just the basic of basic plots in this book. And but the thing, 
Like the plot is interesting, but that is not the standout element of the book. No. The standout element of the book is the writing. Yes. Uh, yeah. And it's it's Which so was new for me. Clever. It is so clever. Um, for any other like big sci-fi heads out there, it is the closest thing I've ever read to Douglas Adams, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Just the way that everything's kind of seated in and like is a little bit cheeky and a little bit fun and but also can talk about serious things like under kind of like under the cut a little bit that is what this feels like it feels like a little bit of a spiritual successor to um hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy so if you like that book if you like that book you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't read this one so so i've never read a hitchhiker's guide and i've never seen oh so uh, the movie is technically in existence (laughs) (laughs) that says enough to me (laughs) Um, i just i feel like zaphod beeblebrox was done dirty uh but i mean the casting was good i'll say that okay all right okay but it's one of those things that like the the narration of hitchhiker's guide is so clever Mm -hmm. that when you take that out it's it it doesn't have the same effect i yeah, really recommend the audiobook for it so okay and that's i mean very similar with space opera the writing is so unique and and so she uses i have said many times on this podcast and just to people in general when we're talking about books that like i have a hard time when and when an author takes 20 words to describe a thing you know, but the way that Catherine does it is so clever and so funny and so like punchy that Mm -hmm. it, 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 it took me. So yes, it does. It, it's technically four hours to get through the book, but the amount of times that I had to like stop and then re-listen to something or Mm -hmm. like stop and go back to something a few chapters before I mean, it's just, it just keeps you so engrossed in like the entire thing. Yes, I agree. So it probably Um, took me maybe five-ish, five and a half hours-ish. Okay. I mean, that's fair. Like, that's absolutely fair. I feel like, I feel like I did that when I was physically reading it too, but I know I did it when I was listening to the audiobook because like there are certain elements that would, that just really need you to like, pay special attention to it and mm-hmm. I'm one of those people when I'm listening to an audiobook that I'm also multitasking I'm usually cleaning my house or going on a walk or something um and so you know there's uh I'm gonna mispronounce the name every time that it comes up Gorgonau Gorkanon's unkillable facts will come into play later on every time one of those came up in the audiobook version I have to like rewind and listen to it again yeah because they're they're so cheeky they're so cheeky I just I love this book so and they're so they're just so like huh yeah that's true isn't it (laughs) I I feel very valid in this Chili's tonight um I just can't I cannot overstate how happy I am that you enjoyed this book because this is like I love this so much that I recommended it to Robbie and I only recommend things to Robbie that like I know he would enjoy you know yeah so the 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 elevator pitch for this book and we're going to get into details but the elevator pitch for this book is that 
um, the universe has finally noticed that there is potentially sentient hey. life on Earth. Hey. Hold on. Okay. Is Sorry. it Ned? Ned was trying to get into my witch stuff that I have over here. Amazing. Amazing. He doesn't. Um, so, no, he doesn't need to get in there. Um, so the universe has finally noticed that there is potentially sentient life on Earth. And humanity needs to prove that they are sentient. And the way to do that is to compete in the Intergalactic Grand Prix, which is like, it's like Eurovision in space. And the reasoning behind it is that if you can put together a band, you can handle all the technical aspects of that, but you can also have it like an emotional impact on your audience. That's a way to prove you're sentient. And that is, that's like the, the long and the short of this, this book. And the characters are incredible. The plot is funny. The writing sparkles on the page. And there's a cat in the screen and I can see it. Wait, do you have two cats in the room with you right yeah, now, Mary? Yeah, Marvel's in here, so is Ned. Oh my god. I know. Oh my god. I love it. Hi, Marvel. We're gonna get a nice close picture of her butthole. There it is! I, I choose to believe that she's trying to, like, sit on me. She, she wants, wants me to hold attention. her like a baby because that's like okay there we go and then we'll, i'll hold go. her like this and i'll try and do my notes <laughs> amazing so do we want to just like dive in or yeah. do we want to oh wait 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 i'm so sorry oh, yes. mary what did you make this week so there is a big part in in this book is it centers around this band and uh, <laughs> Decibel Jones and the Absolute Zero. And it's Decibel Jones, Mira, and Ort in this Yes, band. Mira, Wonderful Star, and Ort St. Ultraviolet. Yes. Sorry, and I love them. I love that so much. They, there's a particular scene that, that they will keep going back to in this, in this book. And it's where the three of them are eating gelato. And it's a, one of them has coconut, one of them has mango, one of them has pistachio. And so that's what I decided to make was gelato. It is so fun. Like I, I've made soft serve and I've made, uh, you know, like fruit based, like sorbets and that sort of stuff, but I've never made anything with like a heavy cream or, you know, Mm -hmm. like anything that was more labor intensive I guess yeah is the better way to say that and uh so I just want to bring up my little recipe here sorry amazing so the gelato recipe doesn't have doesn't have egg yolks yeah how does that impact it well the biggest difference between gelato and ice cream is that uh, while both gelato and ice cream contain cream, milk, and sugar, gelato uses more milk, less cream than ice cream, does not use egg yolks, and commonly has less sugar. And the reason for that is um, if there's less butterfat that actually coats your tongue, the more you're able to taste the other flavors interesting yeah i just feel like i feel like gelato has always been like next level it's like you have ice cream and ice cream is kind of regular but then you have gelato and then you're like suddenly fancy 
avocado that's interesting is it's served up to 15 degrees warmer than ice cream. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. So it, it's, you don't scoop it. It's served on like a flat spoon. And <laughs> so it, it's just thicker. It's more creamy. It, it, it just kind of stays on your palate a little bit more, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So which flavor did you make? Because there's three mentioned in the book. Yes. So I messed around. I did mess around with mango and I messed around with the coconut and I just could not get like it didn't the textures were kind of off. And I don't know if it's just the way that like I incorporated these ingredients, but I didn't like it. So the next one was pistachio and that one Oh my god, it killed it. It was great. It, it killed it. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. I I honestly am surprised that the pistachio was your last choice. Pistachio has always been one of my favorite flavors. And like I used to work once upon a time at Baskin Robbins. And so when I would get my like employee scoop, <laughs> I would get pistachio. This was well before I realized I was lactose intolerant and went non-dairy for everything. So I actually don't know of a pistachio non-dairy ice cream maybe i just haven't seen it but i can't think of one there's gotta be if you guys know what it is let me know i I need it i still can't get all dressed chips so i need something and it might just be pistachio ice cream and now mary's making me think about it with her lovely (laughs) recipe and that's just cruel um so i did it at home and uh, you start out obviously with everything in a pot, and then uh, the key is to making to making it smooth, like the cons- consistency smooth. Is that you want to like what I did is I froze it, and I take it out and I stir it, and then I put it back, freeze it, take it out, stir it, put it back, and then it is. I tried. Not- so you don't put it in like an ice cream maker. You just use the freezer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm sure that is a lot less labor intensive than what I did. <laughs> uh, and so the other the other really big difference between ice cream and gelato is uh, because of the way ice cream is made, there's a lot of air input mm-hmm. into it, whereas gelato doesn't. So it's mm-hmm. what makes it more thick and a lot more kind of dense but the adding the pistachio flavor in it was just so nice because you get that like sweet and cream flavor with like a salty nutty kind of flavor and it was gorgeous it was wonderful oh that's so amazing so that's if i'm not mistaken it's or who eats the pistachio i think i think i think so that feels right that yeah. feels very right. <laughs> I I love the characters of this and I love them all for different reasons and I can't wait to get your thoughts on them. So ugh, that, that, what a wonderful recipe to pick. And especially considering there was not there was a lot of food. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of food, but it was like all in passing and mostly meat. So that was, yeah. I yeah. almost thought about doing vindaloo. Like oh yeah or something but i do mm-hmm. gelato just because i don't do a ton i do more savory cooking than i do baking or like sweet cooking you know mm-hmm. so i thought it would be a fun little challenge for me yeah i love that oh i'm so glad i can't <laughs> wait to see pictures oh it's gonna be yeah it'll be good it'll be fun it'll be, i'm okay. excited 
exciting exciting do you want to dive into the book yes yes I'm done. okay so the so it, it, the book is broken off into five parts and it's earth I think it's earth water air fire and heart and I just love how those are broken up so we're going to start with part one which is earth Mm-hmm. So the chapters are amazing. Chapter titles are amazing. So this mm-hmm. first chapter is called Boom, Bang, a Bang. And <laughs> God, what are you going to say? I'm just delighted. I was just <laughs> chuckling. That's it. I'm so, like, I cannot express my joy at talking to you about this, which I've already tried to do several times in this episode. So I'm going to stop now. <laughs> so the book starts with introducing us to a character, an Italian man named Enrico Fermi. Mm-hmm. And he is the creator of uh, the Fermi paradox. Mm-hmm. And in quick, simple terms, it is, if we are a sentient race, where are all the other, where is everybody, essentially? Where are, why isn't anybody coming to visit us? Like, why aren't we seeing anybody? And part of the reason up front that we said we will never do this book justice is I gave you guys a good idea, right? Like the Fermi paradox, we're a sentient race, where is everybody? Let me tell you what the Fermi paradox actually says. Are you ready for this? Yes. So the Fermi paradox goes, given that there are billions of stars in the galaxy, quite similar to our good old familiar standby sun, and that many of them are quite a bit further on in years than the big yellow lady, and that the probability that some of these stars will have planets quite similar to our good old familiar knockabout Earth, and that such planets, if they can support life, have a high likelihood of getting around to it sooner or later, then someone out there should have sorted out interstellar interstellar travel by now, and therefore, even at the absurdly primitive crawl of the early 1940s propulsion, the entire Milky Way could be colonized in only a few million years. So where is everybody? So that's not actually how Enrico Fermi, the real guy, wrote that. That is Catherine Valenti being very clever and being really fun. Fermi paradox a real thing? Oh, it absolutely is. So the Fermi paradox is literally that. There's um, there's a thing called. (laughs) Yeah, he was he was a physicist trying to figure out why no aliens and that's that's the thing i believe in aliens i don't believe in space opera style aliens i don't believe in little green men from mars style aliens that's not my bag i believe that there is a near impossibility that there has never been anything else and it's partly based off of the drake equation which calculated all of these things like how many stars there are potentially in the the universe and how many of those could support life and so fermi came after this and said but why haven't we seen anybody you guys (laughs) like why has there never been any other thing except for you know ufos potentially but that's not something that enrico fermi was talking about but that just makes me love this so much more i had no idea so much of it is grounded in like real stuff um like uh, there are a lot of things about um the aliens specifically that are Mm -hmm. like hypotheticals so for instance there's later on in the book it talks about whether or not you know various um 
different species can get down with each other. And uh, there's like an offhanded statement about how carbon and silicone based creatures should like decontaminate before they go and do hanky panky. But like, that's an actual concern that actual scientists have had of of whether or not like if we were to encounter a silicone based life form, which is entirely possible, um, if it would like, like shaking their hand would cause us harm. You know, those, those sorts of things are things that like, I really love about this book is because she is obviously a fucking nerd. And I love that about her. Uh, One of the big themes that goes on throughout this book is life is beautiful and life is stupid. Yes. And after reading the Fermi paradox, there's a lot more stuff that's said and Catherine responds to that by saying, yes, life is the opposite of rare and precious. It's everywhere. It's wet and it's sticky. It has all the restraint of a toddler left too long at daycare without a juice box. And life in all of its infinite and tendular integralistic variety would be gravely disappointed, would have gravely disappointed poor gentle-eyed Enrico Fermi had he lived only a little longer for it is deeply, profoundly, inextricably stupid. (laughs) (laughs) So that, my friends, is how the book starts. That's the beginning. So... You you know that this is not going to be one of those space marine, like, deep space war science fiction books. This is tongue-in-cheek, it is very clever, and it has a lot of oomph to it. Boy, does it have a lot of oomph to it. Mm-hmm. So we then meet the main character in, in this book, Decibel Jones, and he's his actual name is... Uh, Domesh Yalo. And Dinesh. He, huh? Dinesh. Dinesh. Is that what I said? Dinesh. Yeah. You said Domesh. Oh, I, Dinesh. That's right. Sorry. I was You're fine. misreading my own handwriting. Isn't that right? It's fine. I mean, he very rarely goes by his actual name. Every now and then he'll refer to himself as Danny, but when he's trying to be like kind of intimate with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is such a fun character. I love um, him so much. I So I'm going to read the description of him because yes. I just yes. love this. So we meet Dinesh Yellow, and he's described as a leggy, psychedelic, ambidextrous, omnisexual, gender splat, glitter punk, financially punk drunk, ethically ambiguous, clam rock messiah by the name of Dinesh Yellow. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so immediately we already know that I'm going to love this book because, of course, it's, you know, science fiction and whatnot. But Mm -hmm. what I might not have talked about much on this podcast is I'm a big music head. I've worked in the music industry. I play music myself. I um, love glam rock, like on a like on a molecular level. And the fact that we have our main character is like this queer burnout glam rocker. Mm-hmm. Um, the I just love it. I love it so much. He's an omnisexual gender splat, which I wish was how I could actually describe myself. (laughs) I just think that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 
So he's also known as Decibel Jones. He grew up in a very large family in England. Uh, mm-hmm. His family only found out that he was the biggest rock star in the world when the matriarch of the family, his grandmother, saw, uh, saw Decibel on a 20-foot billboard with a sign that says Decibel Jones and the absolute zeros. I'm just so I'm so in love with it I just can you imagine walking down the street and just like seeing your cousin or your you know nephew or (laughs) grandson in that case on a giant billboard oh I love it (laughs) I love it because literally Decibel Jones at this point was going to school and working at I think a chip shop yeah um and then started a band and then just never told anyone in his family and kind of wandered away to go be a rock star and, and i feel the biggest rock star in the world for a minute for a minute yeah for, for a minute for a minute <laughs> and that's that's one of the things that you come to learn about decibel very quickly is that he is a burnout at this point yeah so mira wonderful star was uh the did the backup vocals she played keyboard and was an awesome drummer uh Ort Saint Ultraviolet played the autophone which mm-hmm. I actually had to google I wasn't really I didn't know what that was until this oh. and uh and then um, okay. uh and then Decibel did like the main vocals and and that and then they wrote their music together at least for the first album Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, for the first album which is operative um they they flew very high with their first uh with their first album double platinum called space crumpet and then they crashed hard after releasing their second and third albums mira developed a heroin addiction or got a hotel manager pregnant (laughs) um one night while eating gelato with mm-hmm. Mort and uh, Decibel, Mira says something to Decibel about, you know, we should get married for, you know, tax reasons or, you know, like we should get married, like that kind of thing. And and you learn later on that they kind of had like a thruple situation going on. They started out as a thruple. Yeah. <laughs> like that, I, they got together, started a band, slept together a few times, and then... Mm-hmm decided to just keep up the act and there's a there's a line of course I didn't highlight it because I'm a, a dunce but it it turns out that you know or is more monogamous than anything yeah and Mira and um Decibel aren't quite sure what to do with each other and yeah, yeah. they she's Mira says something to the point of you know Mort is married and has a kid on the way and you know like mm-hmm. what are you and I doing and you know like we should get married for tax purposes and kind of go from there and um, later on in the book it actually expounds on this moment too in an important way so like Re- listeners pin this in your mind because yeah, it will be coming back up yeah so decibel he laughs in her face and it wasn't necessarily just like oh you're stupid ha 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 i think it was more like he was caught off guard and yeah. and he ended up laughing and she being in the state of mine that she was and being as fragile as she was she took the van keys and ended up crashing into a scottish moor and died 
Yeah. And that's the end of the absolute zeros. He tries and fails many times to revive his career. He he did a multitude of reality TV shows, which I would love to have seen a little bit. Oh my God. Um, yeah. he, he tried to do a solo career that failed. He he tried to do endorsements. He's You name it, this guy tried it and he definitely failed. Yeah, he didn't do great. No. Um, and Ort at the same time is working as a studio musician. And he's like, he is very um mundane in every choice that he makes after that and it comes into like it builds out of his character which Mm -hmm. i'm sure we'll get into more um but he works kind of behind the scenes doing the thing he cares about very quietly so he's married and he has two kids but he's on his way to getting divorced and his girls mean like the absolute world to him yeah they mean everything yeah yeah and uh, as far as we know, in this point, Decibel and Ort no longer speak to each other. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this this is uh, one of my favorite favorite parts of the entire book, and that is when Earth gets invaded. Yeah. <laughs> so you meet these characters, you really you know that Decibel is he used to be just a flying high rock star. Now he is, he's definitely very low and uh, he wakes up uh, one late afternoon in April around 2 p.m. The entire earth has been invaded by an alien race who looks like seven feet tall flamingos. <laughs> oh, and they're blue. Uh, um, they're my favorite color of blue, ultramarine, which is yes. great. <laughs> So I just want to read the description of these. So it says, some absorbed in accounts payable or receivable, absent-mindedly hung their suit jackets upon its towering hat rack of a head. Its long greenish ivory neck flourished pink with embarrassment. A slender glassy uh, proboscis, is that how you say Mm -hmm. that? Proboscis? arched up from the center of its avian skull until the weight of the round luminous lamp at its temp at its tip bent the whole thing down quail style between those trusting eyes uh its fragile looking legs posed like a ballet dancer about to give the best giselle of her life but every homo sapien sapiens in the biosphere at that moment came face to face with the feathered beyond it's so good isn't it so- amazing Yes, and immediately the, the minute that Decibel encounters um, this creature, are you still with me, Mary? I oh, yeah, you were just very still. Sorry. <laughs> you got very still, and so I thought you were frozen. <laughs> no, my husband is very mean, and I am starving. And I told, I gave him instructions on how to make a BLT because it's my husband and he doesn't know how to cook. So I gave him instructions on how to make bacon. That motherfucker just sent me a picture of a completed BLT with bites taken out of it. Rude. 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 It's very rude. But yes, I I, I, I snarfed a piece of cold pizza before we started recording. So <laughs> I'm so sorry uh, I've done this to you. Um, imagine like you're in because they, they showed up wherever you're most comfortable. So it could be in yes. your, your bathroom. It could be in your bedroom. It could be at work. Yeah, whatever it is you're doing, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, and then it starts, uh, it, it, we, we come to learn that it's all one 
um, one of these aliens and it's just kind of projecting itself around and having, you know, billions of simultaneous conversations with every human person on the planet. Oh, and that it's hilarious. The, the actual creature tries to assume a voice that you're familiar with and that you're comfortable with so it changes for every person it could be your mom it could be your dead your dead dad like it could be yeah it it was incredibly startling to a lot of people yes yes and the um of course decibel because he's like he's very cavalier he's really good at just kind of rolling with the punches Mm -hmm. immediately starts referring to this creature as the road runner um and we learn the actual alien's name and everything but for our purposes i think keeping it as the road runner is going to be the easiest um partly because it reminds him of talking about the wily coyote and the road runner with his grandma and to decibel his grandma was probably the most important person to ever live um yeah. he has a very sweet relationship with her um and so like immediately starts calling her the road runner her she yes uh so the uh road runner we also learn that they're called the esca is mm-hmm. their their race of of being which is called the esca and i didn't make any notes but you see little bits of conversation that the the road runners have with heads of state whether it was in america or england <laughs> or you know russia or whoever and then you see him having conversations with you know a dishwasher in brooklyn or you know just everywhere and part of the reason that uh that the roadrunner says that he that they are visiting every single person is that they don't trust the governments to spread this information to the people which I just thought was amazing oh yeah I think that that was the moment like I was already kind of sold on the book the first time I was reading it Mm -hmm. but then when that happened I was like I I hadn't even progressed past that moment I thought that this was one of the most clever alien and like first encounters I've ever read like this (laughs) it's very smart it's it's very smart and so this manifestation of this alien species has finally shown up and Mm -hmm. it it immediately starts explaining what's going to happen and it's it's not a question this is what is going to happen happening yeah yes and uh so once upon a time there was a serious question in the universe which one of us are people and which one of us are food? Yes. <laughs> and that one question started a total galactic war known yeah. as the sentience war that engulfed a hundred thousand worlds in a domestic dispute over what constitutes a sentient race. Mm-hmm. It didn't end until exactly a hundred years ago, the Saturday after next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so many other stories would focus on that war the war is told talked about in passing it's like not even that important anymore what's important is the the new methodology that they've put in place to figure out whether or not a species is sentient Mm -hmm. because inevitably they're going to like the powers that be are going to come across new potential sentient species and they need a way to figure that out that isn't war yes yeah and I just, I loved that, that question, which one of us are people, which one of us are food? And yeah. there's a part later on that uh, 
that was just so profound coming back to this moment because uh ort has a cat and Mm -hmm. the cat is given and we'll go more into this but the cat is given the ability to speak and ort is like no 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 that's not a good thing all this stuff right (laughs) yeah the thing that that's posed to him is well you know you said that you're a sentient race because you have language and can speak language and all of this Mm -hmm. stuff well i just gave your cat language so does your cat now have a seat at the table or is your cat being served at the table yeah and i just was like damn Mm -hmm. you know that's one of the things that I really appreciate about this is that we have, it does kind of upend some of those things that we consider what makes sentience. Especially Where does that, that bit with like the lions and that'll come in. Oh, I, oh, that, that, oh my God. I'm so glad you're going to talk yeah. about that. But that is good. But I mean, that's something that as humans, we've thought about quite a bit. And so looking at it from the outside, from an alien perspective, what would their criterion be? And some of the species that we come across would not necessarily to us look sentient. Mm -hmm. There's one in particular that I'm thinking about. uh, It might rhyme with nombies. um, And (laughs) that we wouldn't necessarily think of as like a sentient species, but it makes the, the argument and is in, inducted into the sentient races. And that is really cool. <laughs> so the the Roadrunner beginning, begins to talk more to Decibel Jones and introduces himself as Alternaut who runs faster than wisdom along the Milk Road, 14th lyric of the Algava verse. And mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what a name. Yeah. Just call him Al. You know? <laughs> well, I think I think that in Someone. the book, Al uses she her pronouns because that's as close mm-hmm. as human language could get to what she actually is because yeah. they have like fourteen genders, yeah, and that I is I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she begins to explain the situation that humans have found themselves are. And because humans are advancing and may start traveling space, all the other worlds need to know if we are a sentient race or if we need to be destroyed. Yeah, and, because uh, we be at, at the point that we start exploring space, humans, I mean, say we, uh, we start exploring space and getting past the moon is the, the point that we start becoming a potential problem to mm-hmm. everything else. Consider it from a very terrestrial like perspective. We don't know what's in the Marianas Trench. What if there is something that's thinking down there like us? Because we can't really figure out what's down there right now. But what (laughs) if something came out of there and started talking to us? I feel like that's when we would start to really worry. We would kill it. We would would kill it immediately. Immediately. But they're, they're much more civilized than us. And they're at least giving humans a chance to, to prove that they belong at the table. Uh, and so uh, he, she begins to explain that to find this out, they're going to have somebody from Earth compete in a Eurovision-type singing competition, and mm-hmm. it's called the Metagalactic Grand Prix. Yeah. There's 20 rules, and I'm not going to read all 20, but I just wanted to read a couple of important ones. All species currently accepted as sentient must compete. 
and then it says one song per species. Special effects, stagecraft of all kinds are encouraged. And it says, please dress accordingly. That is in the traditional costume of your people, but make it cool. Okay. Give it a little showmanship. Give it some. (laughs) (laughs) And it says new compositions only. No sloppy seconds. (laughs) And then the, the other most important rule is number 20. And it says, if a performer fails to show up on the night, they shall be automatically disqualified, ranked last, and the share of their communal galactic resources forfeited for that year. Do not try and actually kill anyone. Wink, wink. It's a dreadful bother to clean up the mess. Yeah, so it's not just like a touchy feel good situation. It is cutthroat. Um, (laughs) But actually, Mary, now that we've established the rules and what's going on, I actually have a question for you. Okay. If you were if you were to pick a song that is currently existing or an act that is currently existing, who would you put up to save humanity? So, okay. This is gonna be a long pull, but stay with me, okay? Okay, I'm here. I'm here for it. Okay. I'm here for it. You know, uh, have you seen The Greatest Showman? Yeah. Okay. the The girl and the song uh, mm-hmm. that the Swedish singer does, mm-hmm. I think, would be perfect. You know oh, what I'm I think that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. The, I think that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Really cool. I I was also thinking that some sort of musical would be really great mm-hmm. because they really encourage like a theatrical approach to it. Um, I mean, so something awesome. like, yes, yeah. something like my first knee jerk reaction, please don't judge me was the lion King, <laughs> the, the Broadway lion King. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. I, yeah. okay. So I cried the, and I, <sighs> okay. I cried when I first saw the lion King uh, in like on stage yeah it's incredible that beginning scene is breathtaking with the the puppets that they use and all of the stage stuff that they use (laughs) yeah i could totally do that Oh yeah, I'd be totally into it. I mean, there's also that part of me that's like a little bit of a music snob that wants to like bring Bowie back to life to take care of things, <laughs> you know, or like get a metal singer, like Ghost or something in there. But I, I think that given the parameters of this, something that would be very appropriate is a Broadway production. Oh, like that's yeah. who I would pick. So to save humanity, I would pick, I would Pick Adina Menzel. You know who else I think would be good is Brandon. Oh God, Brandon Yuri, I think from. Oh uh, yeah. What is from his, um, Panic at the Disco? Yeah, he's he's his, really good. His vocal range is insane, insane. Yes. Anyway, yes. Well, so I mean, we can't we cannot bring back Freddie Mercury, but Bohemian Rhapsody would be like that would just take down the house. I mean, that's true yeah <laughs> i mean maybe not <laughs> considering the things that we, we learned later on in the book so yeah. the the roadrunner then gives gives a breakdown of like who the potentials are they the roadrunner pre-approved list <laughs> yes because the roadrunner is effectively 
the their species is acting as the chaperone to help to help like give humans the best shot that they've got that like we we would have to survive and the pre-approved list is very disappointing it's based off of the current galaxy's taste in music the galaxy's taste yes uh and i do want to mention too so the loser the loser in the singing competition their planet will be stripped of all useful resources and every single person on the planet will essentially be like vaporized will will be destroyed that's only for planets that are trying to prove their sentience so it's not just the bottom of the list oh okay Okay. it's it's not anybody who loses if it's already a sentient planet then they're they just have their um like share of stuff withheld they don't I, get vaporized <laughs> i see okay I, yes. lied. No, I lied how dare you mary I know. um so i wanted you to talk a little bit about the pre-approved list <laughs> yes if do you, you have it in front of you yeah i do okay would, will you quickly read the pre-approved list so uh, i have yoko ono mm-hmm. new york and then I wrote down Jessabel Jones because I couldn't remember who the other ones were. Oh, no, that's totally fine. I, I forgot to, to mark that down. But the other conversations that talk about, um, talk about it. It is almost always focusing on Yoko Ono. And Yoko Ono did have like a solo career and she did do stuff with the Beatles and all of that jazz. But it's not widely loved. It's not great. <laughs> it's but like Bjork it's very experimental um, mm-hmm. it's not something that we would consider like the canon of music like things that you need to listen to like everybody loves Bohemian Rhapsody not everybody loves Pagan Poetry by Bjork even though it, it did make me have lots of feelings when I was an undergrad <laughs> I can't stand her See, and that's the thing, and that that's exactly it, is that they have this pre-approved list, and the fact that Desidel Jones is on it tells you that there's, like, a very particular type of music yeah. happening here. Like, it's experimental, it's probably very in-your-face, it's probably um, over-the-top, because that's... Recall, late 80s, keyboards, yes. jazz kind of feel. Yeah. <laughs> I... I think about the New York Dolls quite a bit yeah, when I think about yeah. Jones. <laughs> I, I mean, I think about the New York Dolls no matter what, but it, I think that if you were to take the New York Dolls and add much more glitter, because glitter is a huge thing for Decibel, um, mm-hmm. then you'd have a better idea. But I think that he thinks of himself as a Bowie, which he's yeah. definitely yeah. not. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Um and so it's it's later explained to to the roadrunner that Yoko Ono has passed on. She's old. Yeah, and so it's pretty much everybody else on the list. And then but it was funny because Bjork was still alive, but she had like a horrible swan accident or something. Yeah. Lost her voice, which I just thought was so fucking amazing. Yeah. So that this was actually the first clue that we had that this is set in the future yeah. as well. Because this is like, this is supposed to be at least past 
just given my memory of the book, at least past 2024, because yes. there's some sort of stock market crash that they in talk about in 2024, yeah. which makes me terrified because <laughs> everything sucks right now. I'm just going to throw that out there. It's 2022 and things continue to get worse. Oh, don't I just, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not going <laughs> to will it. I'm knocking on wood. Did you hear that? That was wood. <laughs> <laughs> so decibel uh agrees to do it and yeah. he's then like bombarded by all kinds of government agencies saying i love i love what happens with us and you need you know you need to come here and you need to go there and you blah blah, blah all this stuff and he kind of does like a mad dash for any car you know because he just randomly gets in one because mm-hmm. there's like all of these like secret service people and like mi5 people it's and like MI6 and- they're all just like standing out in front of his place like dick swinging at each other and then he's just yeah. like overwhelmed by it and runs yeah. into the nearest car <laughs> and it turns out <laughs> that the people in the car i think that they work for um i think that they work for the crown are just like absolute racist douchebags oh i lost mary no i got you i got you you came back your rage fueled it it was amazing (laughs) i don't know if you heard me say but it turns out that the guys in the car are just absolute racist douchebags and like i just hate them so yeah because i highlighted a few things and it it just made me so angry and uh so one of the things that uh this he eventually goes to see the prime minister and the crown and uh it was queen charlotte <laughs> what an ass hat what an yeah. ass hat and uh he says couldn't we have found someone more english and i love that decibel's response to that is we are english you tit <laughs> <laughs> And well, so because he's man, if you want to have a squabble about it, not that that stopped you lot. Some might say we have a pretty nice spread of humanity between the three of us, too, now still covering a lot of territory. Rather ideal, if you ask me. And he's, and I'll go back to it, but he's referring to how they describe Decibel Jones and his other bandmates. In, mm-hmm. uh, so he's, uh, and it's Mr. Brown, and it says, uh, it's quite a bit of egg on the face of the Commonwealth here in Britain. Of the three of them, he's the only one actually born here. And he's what, Pakistani, Nigerian on his dad's side and Welsh, Swedish on, on his mother's side? How does that even get past the first date? The girl was some sort of Japanese, Franco-Jewish muddle from Dublin by swatting way of Warsaw, but I gather she's out of the picture. And the other chap is a god and all angels save us refugee from turk and you're telling me this guy is gay oh certainly not a good looks on us gents certainly not a good look yeah i was infuriated oh, this so- i was so mad i'm so mad but i mean it's not surprising he just said the quiet parts out loud like that's a lot of people think that way and that is those are the people that we kick hard mm-hmm. yeah. we don't in this podcast, we punch Nazis, and that is <laughs> what we do. Um, these guys, though, like, I, I love that Decibel does not skip a beat. Like, yeah. he seems, A, so used to it, and B, he's not going to put up with it. And no. I love that about him. He has so much moxie. 
Well, and he he says in here he did call himself an equal opportunity bisexual in an interview right after Space Crumpet hit that his female fans got their feathers ruffled, or rather their parents did, at which point he then switched it to he was an omnisexual, whatever that means. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, but I mean, I don't know if this is something that, I, and this might be too heady of a topic, but I don't know if this is something that you've ever encountered, but like there is a lot of bisexual erasure out there. And I'm especially... Yeah, especially for, like, people who are in the spotlight, people who are um, being looked at a lot. They feel like they have to justify their sexuality or their gender all of the time and add to the fact that he is a person of color. That is not an easy way to to make friends in a hegemony. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that he has any interest in making friends. And that's great. Well, and uh, Mr. Brown goes on to say, couldn't we have auditions? Couldn't we have our own say? In the middle of them kind of squabbling, uh, the Roadrunner alien comes back and kind of pops up in the middle of the car. In the car. I love it. And begins to say to them, you know, we're doing you guys a favor by having uh, like a pre-approved list. We could have been assholes about it and let you hold auditions and let you do this and let you do that. These are the people that we know would would win this competition for you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then um, the other thing that I thought was really great is, uh, so Mr. Brown says, well, why, you know, why can't we have our own say? Why can't we have some real spit and shine boys, real British boys? real boys that we would be proud to have stand up for England or the planet. Really, how are we meant to, how are we meant to put gender splat on a personnel intake form? And what the alien says in return, and we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the episode, I just thought was so cool. And it's, it says the ESCO turned its oceanic gaze and says, we presumed it meant he was like us. The ESCO possessed four genders, male, female, fugue, and clef. And it and goes on to say that, you know, like they're of a higher, you know, sentience and, you know, gender is, is very fluid and, and that kind of thing. And, and so he he says i myself am clef and took gender splat to mean mr jones was also is that not correct mr jones and des replies close enough darling <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i feel like i feel like when i try and describe my gender to people that that <laughs> that is like where it, the close enough darling is is i think my my new response yeah because well, and then uh des says what's the pronoun on that and it replies you do not have the 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 means to produce it and it's more of a pity you may use she for your convenience as it contains both your limited binary terms mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i love that I love it so much. I love it so fucking much. But again, the Roadrunner is starting to realize that these guys are being complete douchebags and doesn't let them continue on with that, which I love. I I can't, 
tell you how badly I want like a follow-up novel where all of the racists and homophobes and bigots are faced like with the expanse of space and all of the <laughs> all of the other things that are out there. I just would love to see that. I want them to be sad. So uh let's see here. So then um the aliens kind of just had enough and takes decibel out of the car and transports them to ort's apartment and uh again ort had the same visitation so he knows what's up he saw his name on the list and agrees to to do it as well um mm-hmm. when they get to the apartment the roadrunner asks for whole milk and a steak both being essential for space travel fat mm-hmm. and calcium uh she takes the flower part off of her head and uh, puts it on a table and then she asks or for his uh pair of headphones or gives mm-hmm. them over the flower eats it and then this part was a little confusing to me because so it looks like the flower eats it and then just kind of consumes everything within like a three foot radius of it mm-hmm. yeah okay. i think that that's that's exactly it i will say one thing that that I really appreciated about the scene leading up to that moment mm-hmm. was how fucking awkward it was <laughs> because Des and Ort don't talk really. Mm-hmm. Like it says at one point that they'll, they've managed to be on stage next to each other from time to time, but there's like no conversation in the green room or anything like that. Like they're not friends anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have to wait like 40 minutes for the steak to thaw in the microwave under the thought like thing. And they are all uncomfortable and everything is so awkward. The way it's written, you're just, you cringe because you're in that situation with them and you're just like, oh man, I want out of here. So <laughs> Specifically, you're in that situation with Ort. Yes. And how he is feeling in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it is not good because he doesn't, he dislikes Des at this point. And we come to realize the reasons why later on. Yeah. Um, but there's, it has a lot to do with like their history with one another. And so he's standing there with a space alien and like his ex lover yeah. effectively. Yeah. And waiting for a steak to thaw i can i could feel it i could feel the awkwardness in that moment but yeah no i think you described the way that the the spaceship comes to be because i don't think it's supposed to be like extremely technical it's i think supposed to be something that's beyond our understanding and so essentially it turns or it's white couch into a floating coral looking uh what they call a conglomerate instant short range combat shuttle (laughs) which just it just sounds so cool you know it also like you get the feeling that the spaceship is very organic because it talks about how there's you know shrimp in the walls and it's constructed out of calcium and meat like (laughs) there's only so far you can take that um but then they they get into this this space shuttle very soon and both Des and Ort are really overwhelmed but 
they have very different reactions to it. Like Ort just kind of shuts down and becomes what he calls um, Mr. Bloke Man. Uh, I don't know if you were going to talk about Mr. Bloke Man at all, but he has this, he, his family is a family of refugees. So they are from what we, we come to learn is Turkey or Turkmenistan. We're not positive, but it, it's the future. Um, and so his family's refugees, they live in England. And his dad was very much the of the opinion of like being as normal and average and like pres- like prescribed to normalcy is what I mean here. Um, and blending in as much as possible because he didn't want any hardships, which I think is a very typical um, approach for a lot of people who are in the situations of becoming a refugee. I have never been one. I can't speak to their experience, but I can understand why they would. So he told Ort, a young little Omar, to be as normal as possible, to be Mr. English bloke man. And so that's something he's internalized and he's his entire life trying to be Mr. Bloke man. It's very buttoned down, very British, like everything solvable with tea and being a little bit diffident. Yep. <laughs> and on the other hand, you have Decibel Jones, who is very much in your face, and he is super willing to just like roll with all this. So we have these two very different reactions to like a spaceship showing up and them having to go save the world. Well, and the Roadrunner takes the cat with them as well, or it had yeah. a cat, and the cat gets to go on this adventure too. Yeah. Uh, so before we stop this episode, so we're going to stop at part three, which is air in the book. Mm-hmm. I wanted to read a couple parts from chapter 13. Yes. And at the, the, it starts with, everything has a rhythm. The question has never been, can you build cities? Ants can do that. The question has never been, are you capable of considering your own existence and getting kind of depressed about that? Any animal in captivity does that. The question has never been, can you use tools? Crows can do that. Otters can do that. Apes can do that. Good Lord, everybody can do that. The question has never been, can you perform complex problem solving? Dogs can do that. The question has never been, can you experience love? Nobody does. And I was like, ooh, ow. And then uh, the question has never been, can you use language? Parrots and dolphins and cuttlefish do that. And then it goes on and on, and it says, the only question is this. Do you have enough empathy and yearning and desperation to connect to others outside yourself and scream into the void in a four-part harmony? Enough brain power and fine motor control and aesthetic ideation to look at feathers and stones and stuff that comes out of worms, more unpleasant holes and, and see gowns and see veils and see platform heels. Can you? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yes, I love it so much. And the question, the biggest question of all comes down to this. Do you have a soul? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this comes back into play with the cat later on in in a very satisfying way oh it's so good so yeah so that's about um middle about halfway 
Yeah. Yeah. I hope we've, we've whetted your appetite for this book. And if you haven't started it, now's the time because we're going to come to the thrilling conclusion next week. Um, dun, I just, dun, 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 dun. It only took Mary like four hours to listen to the book. Come on. <laughs> What's up? It's really quick. And I think you guys really good. it. Yeah. yeah. Also, I, I haven't read anything else by her, but I feel like now I have to pick up everything. No, just like remembering how much I love this book and just the the amount of delight I feel talking to you about it. I need to purchase everything she's ever written. So <laughs> that's what I need to do. Yeah. So that's uh, that's it for this week. Yes? Yep, that's it. Excellent. Uh, if you guys can do the thing where you rate and uh, subscribe and all that fun jazz, that mm-hmm. always gets us some more recognition, some more listeners eventually yes. give us some sponsors. That would be wonderful. That would be lovely. Thank you um, all. Thank you all for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this. Yeah. And, and check out our website for mm-hmm. recipes, for photos, for anything new coming up. Um, if you want to check out our schedule, it's it's all on there. www.howtobakeabook.com Or also www.howtobakeabookpod.com We've oh, got yes. both. <laughs> We're really, we're covering all of our bases. I'm so you know? bad at this. <laughs> You're really good at this, actually. You're so good at this, and I could just listen to you for years. Oh, so, no. well, yes, okay. Thanks. Yes, thank you for listening, and happy reading. Happy reading. Bye. Bye. Robbie Bates, my cute husband. Uh, special thanks to Ren Haynes, our wonderful gremlin. And uh, special thanks to the author. Uh, of course, without books, this podcast wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. I would be very sad. I would be a husk of a human. Yes, yes. Please support authors the best way you can. There's mm-hmm. a million places to go shop for book. Mm-hmm. One place is bookshop.org. Uh, you can go on our website, howtobakeabookpod.com. If you click the bookshop.org, you can find all kinds of really awesome books there. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's Audible and Amazon and... Your local indie shops. Yes, and please shop indie. Sh- please shop indie. Please shop we indie. Love Keep indie. them open. Keep them open. Keep them open. Keep them open. <laughs> also, a special thanks to Tracy Randall for making all of our incredible digital art. Yes. And she's got even more up her sleeve, I'm sure, for us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, then, uh, and she has social media. Please check her out. And of course, thank you to you guys yes. for listening to us. Thank, thank you, thank you so for much. being here on our little book journey. Bye. Bye.